Michigan. So it's always hard to lose family members and people you shared a bedroom with and fought over biscuits and gravy and stuff with. And all. <laughs> Threw rocks at and then made up. <laughs> Fussed over who got to do whatever first. So uh, let's remember them. We pray. And Sister Mary's in the hospital. She's in the hospital in Lexington. She had a stent put in her kidneys, I think, and then had some complications with that. So be praying for her. <clears throat> and uh, so let's open up in prayer. We're live. Welcome all you guys that are watching today and those of you that will watch later on and get the podcast and listen to that. Welcome you today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we have together. We thank you for the opportunity to get into your word. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you for the word that is a lamp to our feet and a guide in our path. And just pray, Lord, for these families that are dealing with loss. We pray that uh, you'll minister to them. And if there's people in those circles that don't have a relationship with you, we pray that you'll use this situation in this moment to draw them in. Lord, we all got lost loved ones. We all have people who, are, who don't <clears throat> know you. And we pray that uh, you would open their eyes to the truth and reality of who you are. We thank you for your love and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So now, we've been talking about this tabernacle, getting all the stuff together on it. Um, and now we're going to talk about the priest who's getting ready to go in, do the ministry of the tabernacle, and then we'll close out this book as they are uh, getting ready to head toward the promised land. And uh, it's going to take them a while, though. <laughs> it should have took less than a month. took 40 years. But we talked a little bit about that last night because they had a generation that didn't believe and trust the Lord, so they had to die off. Sounds kind of harsh, don't it? <laughs> die. Here's, here's another thing. But God's a realist, right? He's not like us. He, he, he's straight up. He does everything with love, but he's straightforward, right? Gideon said, got 20, 30,000. They got 120 or 30,000. God says, just go out there and tell everybody that's scared to go home. I can't use them. Plain talk, isn't it? So he got down to 10,000, right? <laughs> and then God said, take them down to the brook. Let's watch how they drink. And he wound up with 300. So <clears throat> I don't know what that says, but there's a lot of people that live their lives in fear. And they're afraid of everything. And God does not, I think that's a little bit offensive to God. After all he's done for us and all that he's proved himself over and over. You just look around the creation. Look, at your, look in the mirror. Look at your own life. I get I, probably everybody in this building could have been dead a few times already. Uh, situations, right, that God's just showed up in. So um, he, he, he deserves to be trusted. And so they're getting ready to, to take off carrying this uh, tabernacle and they'll be setting it up at locations. Uh, the cloud will follow them in the day and the pillar of fire by night and all that will be going on as they head on that direction. God's presence. <clears throat> verse Chapter 39, verse 1 of Exodus says, 
Of the blue, purple, and scarlet thread, they made the garments of ministry for ministering in the holy place and made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord had commanded Moses. He made the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and we talked about all these colors last week. The fine woven linen, and they beat the gold into thin sheets to cut it into threads. The work of it with blue, purple, scarlet thread, and the fine linen, and the artistic designs. They made these shoulder straps, coupled them together. They coupled together its two edges and the intricately woven band of the ephod. The same workmanship, woven of gold, blue, purple, scarlet thread, woven linen as the Lord had commanded Moses. They set these onyx stones, enclosed its uh, settings of gold. They were engraved as signatures or engraved in the names of the sons of Israel. We talked about all this, these guys, a little bit last week. He put them on the shoulders of the ephod as a memorial of stones, the sons of Israel, as the Lord. So we saw last week, we talked about how God was typifying. He was bearing them on his shoulders. He was carrying them on his, on his, on, above his heart here. He made the breastplate artistically woven like a workmanship of the ephod, gold, blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine woven. He made the breastplate square, the doubling of it, the span of its length. And he set the four rolls of stones. We talked about all this, how that they put these stones in there. And each stone representing the sons or the tribes. The second row with the turquoise, the sapphire, and diamond. The third row, the jacinth, the agate, and the amethyst. The fourth row, the barrel, the onyx, and the jasper. All these things were enclosed. There were 12 stones according to the names of the son of Israel, according to their names engraved in the signet. Each one had its own name. I'm running through this quickly to get us set back up for today because we already covered this. And they made the chains for the breastplate, the ends, the braided cords, pure gold. They also made two settings of gold, two gold rings, put two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. So this, these things were all kind of designed like everything else he was doing uh, to typify uh, unity, salvation, redemption, deity or divine i should say divinity uh the blood of christ all these colors were significant and what god was preparing to show us as his son would come into there they made two rings of gold put them on the two ends of the breastplate on uh, each edge of it i'm sorry i skipped a verse and they put the two braided chains of gold and two rings the ends of the breastplate the two ends of the two braided chains they fastened to the two settings and put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod in front. They made two rings of gold, put them on the two ends of the breastplate, the edge of it, which was on the inward side of the ephod. They made two other gold rings, put them on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod toward its front, right at the seam above the intricately woven band of the ephod. And, the band, and they bound the breastplate by means of its rings to the rings of the ephod with a blue cord, so that they would be above the intricately woven band of the ephod that the breastplate would not come loose from the ephod as the Lord had commanded Moses. So after all the furniture was made, they made all this, and we talked about most of this last week, they made all this, this garment work for the priest and the high priest and uh, getting them ready to minister before the Lord. So let me show you what God's intention was. God was going to use this tabernacle before they landed in the promised land. And he, this tabernacle was going to be in the center of the camp. And they would put the tribes, they were distributed, as we've talked about before, in different places. But God would be in the center. 
uh, just like when they moved to the, finally arrived at the promised land. So me, you, and they, <laughs> God wanted, he should be in the center and everything would revolve around him. That's the way God designed it. Physically, in the Old Testament, that was portrayed. In the New Testament, that's the way we're supposed to set up our lives. God should be in the center of our life, and everything should revolve around that, right? But what in our culture now, we're in a spot now to where uh, a lot of folks have them in the, in the center, and God, and uh, they try to get God and whatever to revolve around them. But that's not how God set this up. If we put God first, everything else will go better, right? He talks about bringing him the first fruits or the tithe off of the increase. He makes the rest of that do better if we honor him with that. So putting God first is how our lives are supposed to be set up. God should be in the center. Uh, honoring him. And, and here's something else that humans are bad about. They're bad about not putting God first and then running over here and doing something to try and get God to be okay with it. Right? Instead of putting God first and living a life that way, oh, I realize God's not, I'm not give God any attention, so I'm going to run up here, over here and, and do something in a soup kitchen and, and make God forget about all the other stuff I wasn't willing to do. And for somehow that just don't seem to work out right. Uh, and then I, I come into that approach where uh, we look at, and God is this way, a lot of what he does is paradoxical. Uh, so if you want to live, you must die. If you want to receive, you must give, right? Uh, the way up is down. Humility. If you want to be first, go get in the back of the line. And, and I don't say this boasting, but I've never asked anybody to preach. Never. I don't want to go in my own. I want to make sure God is sending me. I don't want to promote myself. I don't have any interest in that. I've got plenty to do without promoting myself. But those are paradoxical truths. And here's the reason God works that way. He's looking for humility in all of us. And if... Humility starts by being able to recognize and say this. I don't make nothing happen. He does. And if you think you're good at something, guess what? God designed you that way. You can't even take any credit in that. None of us can. Whatever we're good at, parenthetically, whatever we're good at, God designed us that way. We don't, God don't look down here and say, wow, look how they can sing. He's the one made them that way. He, he don't, he's not impressed with that. What God is impressed with is obedience. That's what impresses God. Because every one of us, whatever we're good at or whatever we think we're good at, God made us that way and we wouldn't have even the opportunity to be good at it if he didn't open the door. So... That's why everything is in him. And humility is what God's after. God can move us to the front of the line anytime he desires. Do you, 
One of the stories that I get the most strength from is Joseph. Joseph, everything that God had shown him, the devil tried to beat him down with that. You know that? And, And the lies that were told on him, can you imagine the lies that were going around Egypt about Joseph? Lies that you and I would say, boy, you better not... You better not get crossways with them because it don't have to be true just once it's out there. Not with God. It don't matter what people say or do or lie about. If God wants to promote you to the top, you're going to the top. It don't matter who knows or who thinks they know what. If if God wants you on the top, and how do we know that? Moses, Joseph, David, all those guys, Abraham, all of them pulled stunts. But God had a plan for their life, and they didn't walk out on God. They stuck with Him in spite of their own weaknesses. And when God was done with them, they were all on top. So much on top that the Bible says the only place that Pharaoh had more authority than Joseph was when he was sitting in his throne. So much on top that the Bible says that when we get to the new kingdom, the new heaven, David will have a throne there. In spite of all of his stupidity. So Joseph, they, they was going to kill him until Judah stepped up and said, Nah, let's not do that. Let's sell him. <laughs> the lesser of the two evils. And then they sold him. He goes down as a slave, gets bought by Potiphar, raises up to the top. Potiphar's wife lies on him. And boy, that had to be a scandal in Egypt, right? Sent him back to prison. There he's stuck in prison again. He keeps honoring God, keeps letting God use him in prison. Most people would have got mad at God. I'm talking about Christians. Most of them would have been ticked off at God. I mean, one time is enough, right? Being sold as a slave. And now, look, you know, but Joseph just kept being faithful. He just kept being faithful. And God, the Bible says God blessed everything he put his hand to. Even blessed him while he's in the prison. But most Christians even would have been down there whining, feeling sorry for themselves in the, in the jail. Am I telling the truth? I'm telling the truth. Because... Then he gets he's back to the back of the line, right? You can only imagine how he had to battle, though, right? He gets sold in the slavery. He's in Potiphar's house, probably out in the barn for a while, whatever. Next thing you know, he's running Potiphar's house. The Bible said he knew more about what Potiphar had than Potiphar did. That's how much he trusted him. So he's coming back to the front of the line. Then, bam, gets lied on, mistreated, back to the back of the line, <laughs> Uh, can you imagine? And you think you got problems. Just think about that. His own brothers turned on him, sold him into slavery, was going to kill him, sold him into slavery. He goes to the back of the line. He's in the front of the line. His dad's high on him. Then he gets uh, these visions from God. Then bam, he goes to the back of the line. Then he gets back up. He's almost to the front of the line. It's almost time for him to get his deal. Bam, right back to the back of the line. I draw strength from that because I see a man that refused to be denied. Just like those people in the New Testament. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. People who refuse to be denied. Jacob was that way. Jacob was a knucklehead too. But guess what? If you want to see a knucklehead, go look in the mirror. We're all, we've all done stupid stuff, haven't we? We've all put God off. We've all said, we'll wait on that. And God's standing at the door, you know. And, and we all do our own thing sometimes. But get in the back of the line. It's a good spot to be in. Find that place of humility. If you want to go up, go down. 
Jacob dug a well over there that's still there today. Absalom built a statue of himself, and it's gone. There's your contrast. The way up is down. If you want to gain your life, you've got to lose it. He that seeks to gain his life will lose it. But if you want to gain it in Christ, you've got to lay it down. So these guys, Aaron's, the house of Aaron's been called uh, uh, to be the ministers. They, uh, <coughs> he makes all this stuff. He made the robe, the ephod of woven work in verse 22. And there was an opening in the middle of the robe like the opening of a coat of mail with a woven binding all around the opening so that it would not tear. They made on the hem a robe of pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet and fine woven linen. They made bells of pure gold and put the bells between the pomegranates on the hem of the robe all between the pomegranates and the bell and the pomegranate and the bell and the pomegranate. So you, you could see, and I've got pictures of this I probably should have brought out, but there's a bell and a pomegranate all around the hem of his garment. So the, the bell <coughs> makes a distinct sound when it's separated from the other bells. If, it's, if you get a bunch of bells all together, they're just going to sound like a bunch of clanging metal. But when they're separated that way by the fruit, right? And when you get into the New Testament, this is speaking of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us the fruit of the Spirit and the manifestations and the gifts of the Spirit. If you go to Romans 12, you have the gifts of the Spirit. If you go to 1 Corinthians 12, you have the manifestations of the Spirit. And I like to distinguish between those because a manifestation is a little different than a gift and it has more spiritual force behind it and it's not something we possess. In other words, if you get a gift, that's something you've been entrusted with to be a steward over. A manifestation is when the Holy Spirit comes up on you and uses you and I in a supernatural way, but we don't carry that with us. We can't because if, if that were true, if if the gift if you had the manifestation of healing, then you could go to the hospital and wipe everybody out. Say, go you're discharged, right? But sometimes the Holy Spirit rests on you when you pray for somebody and they get healed. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a manifestation. And then you got the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, right? Those nine components that make up the fruit of the Spirit. So here you got the fruit of the Spirit and you got the power of the Holy Spirit represented, the gifts and manifestations. But without the fruit, those bells would be nothing but an old loud clanging cymbal. Now that takes us to 1 Corinthians 12, right? He said, I don't care if you've got faith, it'll remove mountains. Or if you speak with the tongues of angels. Or if you give everything to the poor. Or if you give your body to be burned. He said, if you ain't got pomegranates, if you ain't got love, you don't have nothing. It ain't profiting you anything. And so what we do is we get Christians who just go major after one thing. That's their whole goal is I want one thing. I want... Instead of letting the Holy Spirit distribute those bells and those pomegranates equally and, and balanced in our lives, right? Let's, let's just face it. You can go to some churches and think, well, those people are crazy. And you can go to some churches over there and you think the Holy Spirit ain't been in this church in 40 years. You got both extremes, don't you? Because they major on one thing. They don't get the bells and the pomegranates distributed correctly in their lives. 
you're not, <coughs> we're not any more spiritual because God uses us in that way. That's God. That I, I, brings me back to this humility. Be careful about taking credit for something that God's doing. He's the one that's doing it. Most of the time, if somebody tells me I did a good job, if you've told me that, you've probably heard me say this. I say, I had good help. The Holy Spirit. Right? Because I'm not good enough to do this stuff on my own. I, I need somebody smarter than me, somebody better than me, somebody purer than I. I need them working through me because I'm not, I'm not qualified without the Holy Spirit to do anything. But the Holy Spirit wants, wants you and I to have the balance of everything He does. We don't want to be out of whack. The Bible says if the trumpet don't make a distinct sound, how will they know what to do? Right? And Paul addresses all that with those Corinthians. He said, they're going to come in here and think you guys are mad. Like you've lost your mind. Right? He said, if you do everything decently and in order... Then that's how the Holy Spirit works. That's why you have a bale, a pomegranate, another bale, and a pomegranate. If you just had all bales, think of the chaos. Or if you just had all the bales together and all the pomegranates together, right? I had a lady say this one time, and they're not here, and they're not listening. <laughs> so, and I wouldn't tell you a name, nobody would know them anyway. But they said, my life is so busy, I had to choose between praying or reading the Bible. So I chose just to pray. That's not a good, that's not a good path. Cut something out. <laughs> you need to do both. You need to be in the Word and you need to pray. You don't get to choose between those. And... So if you're not getting enough time with God in your day, you're doing, you need to let something else go. Yeah, but I got I to gotta go. I'm going to hit something here, and I don't want to make nobody mad. But I've got to go sit in the <clears throat> line at school and get my grandbaby for 35 minutes. Well, read your Bible while you're sitting there instead of listening to Paul Harvey. <laughs> Find you a way. Do not let the devil get you to where you're neglecting God. And that's what that verse says in Hebrews 11 and 6. It says, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Not the best words, but English we struggle, right? Because it makes it sound like we need to be standing in front of God just waiting on Him 24 hours a day. That's not what it's saying. It's not somebody that's constantly chasing God. It's somebody, the word, that phrase means somebody who don't neglect God. God knows you have a family. He knows you need to eat. He knows you and I need to work. He knows we have a relationship. That's His design. He don't want you just sitting there outside doing nothing, waiting on Him. He, he wants you to be available to Him, and not, He does not want to be neglected. And we're neglecting Him if we don't spend some time in His Word and some time in prayer. We're neglecting God. So that's what He's after. He's after these people. He rewards those people who do not neglect Him. And that's, that's the kind of people we want to be. So be smart. I, I'm, listen, I, I read a lot. But I also listen to the Bible a lot. I got up this morning went, when I was in the bathroom uh, making myself pretty and all that kind of stuff. I had the word plan. Had the word plan. 
letting the word minister to me while I was milling around in the bathroom for about 20 minutes. Just make sure you get some time with God. It will be so beneficial to you. So beneficial. Uh, you're, you're never going to be disappointed being in God's will. You ever think about that? You and I are never going to be disappointed in, when we're in God's will. Because His will is the greatest thing in the earth. And when you step into that, that's the place we'll all be the happiest. And so he's got all these going around the hymn, the bell and the pomegranate all around the hymn. Uh, and, and of the robe to minister in, the Lord had commanded Moses. And, you know, I've, I've read some of that. And I'm sure some of you all read the high priest could only go behind the veil once a year. And those bells, or the veil, and those bells kind of let people know he was still alive because they couldn't go back and get him. If he, if he went back there and wasn't right with God, he would die. And so the bells let them know that he was still alive and ministering for the Lord. And some have suggested, and I've heard a debate, some people say this, this wasn't true or not, but it might, maybe it makes a little sense that they had a rope tied to him because they couldn't go get him, they'd have to drag him out. But uh, I've read some people who've took issue with that. And, uh, but anyway, the bells were there to signify that he was active and moving you know, a lot in the natural sense. They made tunics artistically woven of fine linen for Aaron and his sons, a turban of fine linen, exquisite hats of fine linen, short trousers of fine woven linen, and the sash of fine woven linen of blue, purple, scarlet thread made by a weaver as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then they made a, uh, the, the plate of the holy crown of the pure gold uh, who wrote it on it an inscription like an engraving of a signet. And they uh, said, Holiness to the Lord. And they tied it to a blue cord to fasten it above the turban as the Lord had commanded Moses. So what's Paul say in Romans? He says that we should present our, our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable before the Lord. That was the priest. He, was, he couldn't come in there at odds with God. He had to be clean when he come in there. Years ago, I was in Texas at a meeting and. I was the guy who I was, uh, the meetings we were in were being ran by a guy who was all over Christian TV for a lot of years. Uh, started in California, wound up in Texas, <clears throat> and he's having this meeting that we went to. And uh, I got a chance to sit down with him because I had had some of his teachings on cassette tapes. That's how long ago that's been. Uh, it was after eight tracks, though, but it was. <laughs> and. Um, I remember him saying, and I was young in ministry. I might have been in ministry just a few years. And I remember him saying, because we don't have people coming down into the pulpit and they're going up into it. He said, we got half flesh and half spirit getting in the pulpits. And he was talking about Moses, how when Moses met with the people, he came down from the presence of God. And when he said that, well, I was sitting there with a few other ministers and he was talking. When he said that, I felt like I was sitting there in my underwear. I thought, oh God, what have I been doing? He said, we've got too many men going up into the pulpit instead of coming down. And he was talking about how you're not qualified to speak on God's half if you don't have a prayer life. 
or if you just come up with a catchy sermon or a catchy phrase and you got the people all hopping and bopping, but you ain't been spending time with God. And I felt like that. I've had a few of those moments. I was listening to a guy talk about walking in the light. And he was talking about that, and I felt another, I've had another moment like I had there. But that's the key here, right? Spending time with God. It's not just for preachers, though. I, I, I'm going to say something that sounds a little harsh here. People don't really need to hear what you think. They need to hear what the Lord's saying. And if you've sat in my office and been counseled, if you've asked, I'll give you an opinion, but I'll make it clear that that's what it is. It's an opinion. This is, this is my opinion. This is not me hearing from God or, you know, we'll go through the scripture and find out what God says. But if you want an opinion, I'll give you one. But that's what it is. It's an opinion. And it's important. You can tell it. When I had all my family at home and my wife, you could tell it when somebody had heard from God. I was walking out of the bedroom one Sunday morning and my wife stepped in front of me and said something to me and it was like, the Holy Spirit just spoke shot right, and I took it, man. I, I'm like, yes, give me that. My children knew it when I'd heard from God. They knew it when I'd heard from God versus when I was just their dad. They could tell. They could tell. You could feel a holy presence come into our home when I'd got a word from God for one of my children rather than just saying, this is your dad talking. This is what the Holy Spirit's saying. And they could tell it. And I could tell it when my wife had heard from God. I mean, it was like, wham. You know, I felt like one of them cartoons. You know. <laughs> but it was good for me. It was a moment, right? It's that moment when God speaks into your life. And you've had those. Sometimes it's not somebody saying it's something, but it's something when you've went home and you've crawled in that closet and the Holy Spirit was right there, right there on you, putting something in you. Or you walk down to the creek bank or you walk outside and you stood behind a tree and the Holy Spirit was right there saying something into your life. You knew it was Him. Changing, life changing. And these guys and preachers and all of us, daddies, moms, brothers, sisters in the Lord, wouldn't it be good if you and I wasn't giving people our opinion all the time? This is what I think. Well, who cares what you think? <laughs> Right? In a sense of it, especially if we're talking about people's eternal destiny. We need men and women who have prayer lives who come out hearing from God. We need that all over the body of Christ. We need it in Africa. We need it in America, we need it in, America in a desperate way. Uh, people that, and then you can affect your circle that way. Right? You can affect the people that you have influence with. We all have influence. Listen, I'm not going to be pastoring a church in heaven. That ain't how this works. You think I'm going to be talking in heaven with Jesus standing there or the Apostle Paul over there? That ain't how this works. Just do what you've been called to do. You'll be rewarded for it. That's how it works. And just be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Count yourself like one of these priests when you go before the Lord. Act like one of these priests. Get serious about it. Don't go to God getting Him to try and agree with you. Go to God and say, I'm a blank slate. Tell me what you want me to know. Correct me, rebuke me, reprove me, encourage me, speak into my life, but I need to know what you're saying. 
I need to know what you're saying. What are you saying, Lord? Where are you at? I like what Blackaby, remember, everybody remember that experience in God. He said, and we, we spend way too much time trying to get God to come into agreement with something on us that he ain't going to come into agreement with. He said, we need to, we need to be people of God who, say, who find out what God's doing and join him in that. Instead of getting God to come over here trying to coax God into doing something he's not going to do. He said, the best plan of action for a Christian is, to, and y'all, most everybody remembers that experience in God, he, is to get, find out what God's doing and get involved with it, right? These people didn't get to go build another little church house. They had to, they had to support the tabernacle. They didn't get to go, well, look what God's doing. Let's go do one over here. No, that wasn't the plan. You get involved in this one. You bring your gold. You bring your mirrors right here. You bring your scarlet thread. You bring your red, uh, the blue and purple thread, your silver. Bring it here. This is what God's doing. Get in on what God's doing. Don't try to go do your own thing. Some of you remember this. Before we planted this church here, I had some folks who, who mean well, and they loved me, and they, they meant well. But, but they said, you know, we need to start a church. And I said, I just can't start a church. I said, i got to hear from God before I can start a church. I just can't start a church just because it's the good thing to do. Well, here's what I think. <laughs> well, that's not the way of God. God is so specific and he's talking, we just won't slow down and listen. But he is talking. He's always talking. He wants to speak into our lives. He wants to give us direction. Well, when I went to the monastery, the Holy Spirit showed up. That's right. He showed up to the monastery. I had a vision at the monastery, plain vision. That's why this church was birthed, because a lot of you all were praying, and God gave the vision. But I had to get an okay from God. I, you just don't do stuff. That's, that's what's wrong with half the church. They're just doing stuff. Spend some time with God, get a word from God, get some direction from God, and follow through with it. He may just tell you, you may be wanting to do something grand and glorious, but He may tell you to go over there and untie that ass and bring it over here. Remember that? He said, go loose that donkey or ass and bring it over here. I need it. Well, what you, here's us, most of us. Well, what do you need that for? Just shut up and go get the donkey. That's what, remember when Peter tried that with him? Peter said, he told Peter what was going to come Peter's way. And Peter said, well, what about him? And Jesus said, I love this line. Jesus said, what's that to you? Follow me. And I think God would say that to a lot of us sometimes. Well, why ain't you letting me look what they're done? What's that to you? Get in line. I knew that wouldn't be popular preaching. <laughs> but if you'll, he that's last will be made first. That's how God works. If we find that place of humility, if we find that place of humility, God will reward that. From my own experience, a lot of people, <clears throat> especially younger preachers, they may say, well, I want what you got. Do you? Do you want to pay the price? Do you want to walk away from everything and start from scratch three times? Because that's what I did. Are you willing to walk away from everything? All your money? All your stuff? See, when you see people that you may think have what you'd like to have, then the next question is, are you willing to pay the price? 
Are you willing to pay the price? And I know a lot of people that aren't willing to pay the price. I, I know people I love that got called to do something, but they wouldn't quit their job. They wouldn't pay the price. They wouldn't take the persecution. And that's what happens to all of us. We, we got to find a place of humility that says, God, I'm trusting you no matter what I see with my eyes. And that's who, that's who he's called us to be. And he says, uh, he says holiness to the Lord. We, we should take that approach as we come before the Lord. Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished, and the children of Israel did according to all the, world the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did, and they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its furnishings, its clasps, its boards, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, the covering of ram skin, dyed red, the covering of badger skins, and the veil of the covering, the ark of the testimony with its poles and the mercy seat, the table and all its utensils showing bread, excuse me, and the showbread, the pure gold lampstand with its lamps, the lamps set in order, all its utensils and the oil for light, the gold altar, the anointing oil, the sweet incense, the screen of the tabernacle door, the bronze altar, its gate bronze, its poles, and all its utensils, the labor with its base, the hanging of the court, its pillars, its sockets, its screen for the court gate, its cord, its pegs, its utensils, its service, the tabernacle, the tent of the meeting and the garments of the ministry to the minister, uh, minister in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, his son's garments minister, uh, to minister as priests according to all the Lord had commanded Moses. So the Lord of Israel did the work. Then Moses looked over the work, and indeed they had done it and the Lord, as the Lord had commanded, just so they had done it. And Moses blessed. So they all honored him. My, my, one of my heroes that's alive is a, is a man called is a man named Jason. Jason grew up in Louisville. He had a wonderful job, had a brick house, had a family, and the Lord called him. He don't stand in the pulpit. I guarantee you, he's probably never stood in the pulpit, other than just a, with a bunch of children. He left all that, packed a Ford Topaz up with just what they could fit in it and drove to Arizona. He went to Arizona on the Navajo Children's Home to work for room and board and $100 a month. And he's one of my favorite people. And he deals with countless children constantly that are coming out of tough t situations. And he knows he's called. He walked away from everything. He never, he, you have to give him room to speak because he wouldn't speak if you didn't give him room to speak. He's that, that laid back. But he is a blessed man. And his wife and, his, and himself heard the call. And they were willing to walk away from everything in humility. They gave up the American dream to go live in a house with other people's children. And their own. They had two of their own. That's sacrificial. But that's how they, they heard the call. He's not, he's not somebody you would just go around and think, man, he's a dynamite this, a dynamite that, or whatever. But he's probably one of the best guys I know on this planet because he's full of humility and he answered the call. And the call wasn't nothing that he'll ever be brought in the limelight for. It wasn't that at all. He'll be behind the scenes his whole life probably. Wiping noses washing about eight loads of laundry every day, reading the scripture to these children, 
taking them to church, making sure they get educated, one right after another, one right after another, trying to comfort them from the sexual abuse or the mental abuse they have. But he's called. Him and his wife, they're called. They're my heroes. They're, they're probably some of my biggest heroes because of their willingness to obey no matter what it costs them. And we've got to have people like that. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, On the first day of the first month, you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. You shall put the ark of the testimony and the partition off, of the, off the ark with the veil. And when you're called to be these priests, you gave your life away. Because when they got in the promised land, they didn't get any land. They didn't get any inheritance. Their inheritance was the Lord. When, they, when the, the house of Aaron accepted the call, that meant they didn't get the same things other people got in the promised land. When Jason and them heard the call to minister, they're ministering for the Lord. They don't stand in the pulpit. We think the only ministry done is in the pulpit. That's not true. They minister to the, to the Lord as they minister to those children. When they heard that call, they left everything behind. Now, not everybody's called to do that, I understand. But they, they left everything behind. These guys that are the priest line here, they don't get any inheritance. They don't get any of the natural things like the rest of the children of Israel do. Their inheritance is being before the Lord. He says, you shall put the ark of the testimony, partition of the ark with the veil. Verse 4 uh, you shall bring the, in the table and arrange the things to be set up on order. You shall bring in the lamp stand and the light its lamps. You shall also uh, set the altar of gold for incense before the ark of the testimony. Put up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. Then you shall set the altar of the burnt offering before the Lord of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. And you shall set the labor bef uh, between the tabernacle meeting and the altar and, and put water in it. You shall set up the court all around. Hang up the screen at the court gate. You shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it. You shall hallow it with its utensils and you shall, it shall be holy. You shall anoint the altar of the burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar. The altar shall be most holy. Get that diagram ready for this. And you shall anoint the laver and its base and consecrate it. You, then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of the meeting. You shall wash them with water. You shall put the holy garments on Aaron, anoint him and consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. You shall bring his sons to clothe them with tunics. You shall anoint them you shall, and you sh uh, and you anointed their, as you anointed their father, then they, that they may minister to me as priests for their anointing. <laughs> Sorry for the pause, you guys that are watching. <laughs> Uh, <clears throat> minister to me as priests, anointing shall be surely an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. Thus Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him, so he did, and it came to pass in the first month, the second year, first day of the month, that the tabernacle was raised up. Moses raised up the tabernacle, fastened its sockets, set the boards, put its boards, raised its, up its pillars. He spread out the tent over the tabernacle, put a covering on the tent on the top of it. As the Lord had commanded Moses, he took the testimony and put it in the ark, inserted the poles through the rings of the ark, and put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and he brought the ark into the tabernacle. 
hung the veil of the covering and the petition off the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the table in the tabernacle of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle. On the outside of the veil, he set the bread in order on it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded him. He put the lampstand in the tabernacle and crossed from the table on the south side of the tabernacle and he lifted up its lamps before the Lord, or excuse me, lit up the lamps before the Lord. He commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tabernacle of the meeting before the veil and he burned the sweet incense on it, the prayer, the petitions. And the Lord had commanded Moses, he hung up the screen on the door of the tabernacle. He put the altar before the burnt offering. Before the door of the tabernacle, a uh, tent of meeting, and he offered it upon the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the laver between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put water there for washing. And Moses, Aaron, and his sons would wash their hands and their feet with water from it whenever they went to the tabernacle of meeting. And when he came near the altar, they washed as the Lord had commanded Moses. He raised up the court all around the tabernacle of altar, hung up the screen of the court gate, so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Same kind of situation, remember, Isaiah had. The, tabern the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, shook the doorpost. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go on onward in their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night it, in the sight of the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So beautiful lesson there, right? We, I read that. We've read all the symbolics of all that. Now it's putting together. Y'all can shoot that model up here on this. Uh, the cloud was there to show them God's presence was with them and also to let them know when it was time to move, right? So he talked about the north when I was telling you. He said this table will be set in the north. There's the north and the south. The east is where the gate's at, the west. <clears throat> so... This was a model, according to what the Scripture says, that was made like something in heaven. So there's, there's a layout like that in heaven to symbolize uh, God's work, I guess, here on earth. And, as we, and here, Moses made it according to the pattern of what was going on in heaven. This, they moved, right? As they moved, when that cloud moved, they were supposed to follow the cloud. And so they would move it. That's why those rings were there and the staves were made. And they would carry all this furniture until they got to the next resting place where the cloud would stop. Remember what Moses said? Well, I think we read that. He said, uh, he told the Lord, he said, if you're not going, I'm not going. That's how we got to be, right? We get anxious sometimes. Get in the back of the line, right? <laughs> get in the back of the line and wait. And so he says, the, the door, of course, Jesus is the door. That's in the gate out here would have been the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah was out here in front of the door because who come through the tribe of Judah? Jesus. He's the lion. So you've got to come through the door if you're going to get to the Father. And Jesus is the door. He was the tribe of Judah. He's coming back in the east as well. All this is symbolic. God don't do anything without having a meaning behind it. And then, of course, you can see the layout of the cross. We've talked about that many times. Here's the cross. And then we use this as a prayer journey, which you're going to hear about again this Sunday. This is a prayer journey. We're going to go into that in depth because we're going to, it's time. We don't need 
10, uh, 10 people praying in this church. We need everybody praying. We're, we're, we're in that stage in the history of time and in our country and as we race toward the end of time. We need people praying. We need people spending more than a minute and a half on their knees. And so we're going to talk about that. But <clears throat> we'll finish this Exodus teaching up with that rally cry on Sunday. But as you, as you look through all this, he's symbolic of the work of Christ, right? He's our sacrifice. We're washed in his blood. He gives us communion with the Father through him. He lights up our lives. He's the sweet smell and aroma. And he, of course, he's, his blood was poured out on the ark to cover our sin and the law and all that. And then it, it also speaks to us in so many ways. But we use this model for our prayer journey, not to be legalistic, but to give people an idea of how they can go wait on the Lord. That's, that's one of the terms that's used in the Scripture is how we wait on the Lord. So we come in His gates with thanksgiving. We go into His courts. We continue that praise. And then we're met with that altar. So this same furniture that you're looking at, when they got into the promised land and they built the tabernacle or the temple, they put this all in it, which is way more elaborate. But this shows to us, as, I, as we sum up this book here, this shows to us the plan of salvation, of course. It shows to us the work of Christ. It shows to us how we're to approach God, how we can spend time with God. But, it, but more than, I wouldn't say more than what Christ has done, but along with what Christ has done, this model, this tabernacle, shows us God's willingness to hang out with us. And if that's not humbling, it ought to be. Because we didn't deserve His mercy. We didn't deserve His grace. All our righteousness was like filthy rags. But He desires to dwell with us. That right there. Do you know how many people in this world that are high and mighty that wouldn't want nothing to do with any of us? If you tried to get in to see some of these people that are high and mighty in our world... You would never even get close to them. But yet you've got a God that's willing to go home with you. We got it made. We have it made. Lord, we thank you for this study. It's been good to us. Your word is so wonderful. We thank you for all the things you've taught us uh, with the book of Exodus. And we thank you for the sacrifice that's portrayed by this tabernacle, that you laid your life down, Jesus, for us. Thank you for your willingness to meet with us, to be a part of our lives, to love us, to forgive us. How wonderful it is to be a child of God. And when everything else around us is falling apart, we can rest in that, that we're the child of a king, the king the Lord of Lords. And we got a God that's not ashamed to call us His children. And we're not ashamed to call you our God. We love you. We praise you. Jesus.